The sermon text is the Holy Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. As Jesus was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, since they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat, mending the nets. Immediately Jesus called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Have you ever been told to do something that you really were not qualified for? Maybe at work somebody called in sick and your boss said, hey, you need to step into her place today and do her job. The only problem, the job you normally do is totally different than the job she does and you have no idea how to do it. The catcher gets hurt in the middle of the game and the coach throws you in behind the plate. Problem is, you're an outfielder. Your wife says, hey, your, your daughter is feeling low right now. She's really down on herself. You need to say something to pick her up and encourage her. The problem, you're not a girl. And you still don't understand, most of the time, how girls think. It can be frightening and frustrating to be asked to do things that you really cannot do. It can also make you wonder about the person who is asking you to do it. It's almost enough to start to make you think, you know, if you're going to order people to do things that they are unqualified for, maybe you should be doing something different yourself. Jesus calls four men in the Sea of Galilee to do not one, not two, but three things that they really cannot do. The first is to leave it all. Leave their jobs, leave their homes, leave their family and their friends. There really isn't a responsible human being who can do that, just get up and leave everything behind, but Jesus tells them to do it with a one-word command, come. And that's just the beginning of the things Jesus tells them to do that they really can't do. Next he says, follow me. Now, there's really no way for them to know at this moment everything that is involved in that command. This is not a call to follow Jesus for an afternoon or for a three-week seminar, but this is a call to follow Jesus through his entire ministry for the next three years, all over Israel, even beyond its borders into Gentile lands, to follow him through crushing crowds of supporters, but also confrontations with hateful enemies, all the way through his suffering, all the way to the cross and to the empty tomb. But these men, they can't do that. They are way too selfish and cowardly to do that, as they will prove during their lower moments. And that's not even the end of the things that Jesus asked them to do that they can't do. He also tells them to be fishers of men. That is an order that Jesus is going to repeat just before he ascends into heaven. He's going to say it again in different words. He'll tell them to go into all the world and 
gathered disciples from all nations by baptizing them and teaching them the word of God. But these men, they're not orators. They're not debaters. They're not very highly educated. They're not, probably not very rich, which you need to travel. They are unequipped to go into all nations and convince strangers who have probably never even heard of Jesus Christ to become his followers. What should we make of Jesus telling these men to do not one, not two, but three things right in a row with no break that they are totally unqualified to do? What do we think of bosses and coaches and teachers and parents who do that kind of thing? What about you? Do you ever feel unqualified, unequipped to do any of the things that God has called you to do in your life? Now, nobody here has been called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle like these four men. You have not been called to follow Jesus through his earthly ministry and then to go out into all the world and proclaim the good news of Christ publicly as a missionary. But we all have calls from God. Some of them are the same for every Christian. Some of them are different from Christian to Christian. You are called by God to be a good citizen and to be a good neighbor, even to people who are not particularly neighborly to you. Those of us who work for a paycheck are called to work hard for it, and those of us who write those paychecks are called to be fair bosses. If you're married, you are called to be a faithful and loving spouse. If you are a parent, you are called to be a good Christian parent who instructs their children in the truth of God's word. We are not called to fan out into the world as missionaries, but we are called to follow Jesus and follow him closely, to let nothing in this world come between us and him. While you are not a missionary, Jesus calls every Christian to fish for people by speaking about the love of their Savior to the people around them as they carry out all of these other callings that God has given them in their lives. Do you ever feel like you just can't do any of those callings or that you just can't do them all? All of them combined are just overwhelming? They're just too much? I don't know about you, but I can't keep it all under control. I can't do it all. Actually, I do know about some of you because I'll ask you once in a while how things are going, how your, how your life is going, and you get answers sometimes like, oh, I'm hanging in there, or could be worse, that old beauty, could be worse. You know, sometimes you get answers that aren't really even verbal. People just make noises at you. When you ask them how they're doing, they sigh, they groan. There was one guy, before I got here, I asked him this in a serious way, like I wanted to know how his week was going, and his response was like this animalistic kind of, uh, that was his answer to how his life was going. Hey, but maybe that's not you. Maybe you are one of those calm, cool, and collected Christians who has everything under control that God has given you to do in your life. You say, good citizen, check. I already get started on my taxes. That ought to tell you what kind of citizen I am. Good neighbor, check. We had those two snowfalls a couple of weeks ago. Both times, I cleared off the driveway of my elderly neighbor. Good worker, yes. Now, old man Abernathy, he don't appreciate me, and he never has, but I still go into the office every day, and I give him nine or ten solid hours, my best effort. Good Christian spouse and parent, 
They say they love me, so we can check both of those boxes. I follow Jesus. I'm in church more often than not, so I must be following Jesus the way that he wants me to. Oh, and a fisher of men. Well, a couple of times in my life, I have actually gotten up the nerve, the bravery, to talk to a couple of friends about how Jesus loves me and Jesus loves them, so you can check that box too. Yes, every calling that God has given me in my life, I do them all, and I do them well. But you see, that's just the thing too. When God calls us to do all these things, he does not call us to do them well. Well is good enough for coaches and bosses and pastors and teachers and parents. Well is all they can expect because they're not perfect themselves. They have no right to demand perfection from you. But God is perfect. He does have the right to demand perfection from us and he does. So now you should see how on your own, you are thoroughly unqualified to carry out the callings that God has given you because he doesn't just call you to do them well. He calls you to do them in total righteousness and no matter how well you do the things God has given you to do, you can never do them perfectly. So what should we make of this God who calls us to do things that we cannot possibly do? What should we make of Jesus Christ who calls four men who are completely unqualified to do what he is calling them to do? What do we make of teachers and bosses and coaches who do that kind of thing? Doesn't it, doesn't it almost make you start to wonder about that person? If you're going to tell people to do things they can't do, maybe you should really do something different yourself. Well, Jesus Christ did do something different himself. Before he called those four thoroughly unqualified candidates to come to follow him and to fish for men, Jesus made them perfect for it. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. After thousands of years of promises and prophecies and predictions, the time had fully come. The time was fulfilled. Jesus, the eternal King, the Son of God, had come down into this world to save us from our sins. The eternal Son of God, the King of the universe, was there in the flesh in Israel announcing that the kingdom of God had already come into the hearts of everyone who believes in him. See, with John the Baptist now in prison, Jesus understood the time was right. This was the time on his heavenly father's schedule for Jesus to start his public ministry, to begin publicly preaching and teaching the gospel, the good news of our salvation. But our Savior Jesus did much more than preach the gospel, the good news of our salvation. He actually achieved the gospel, the good news of our salvation. See, it was already good news that the Holy Son of God had humbled himself and come down as one of us to save us. And it was already very good news that the perfect life of Jesus Christ was well in motion. That life of absolute righteousness where he answered every single calling from his heavenly Father. He answered them all and did them not just well, but perfectly. And there was a lot more good news to come because now, through his public ministry, Jesus was going to continue carrying out that perfectly righteous life. Showing total compassion and love for every neighbor that he came across. Teaching the trustworthy 
truth of the kingdom of God to his disciples and to everyone else who listened to him. And then Jesus carried that gospel, the good news of our salvation, all the way to its completion. When he died on the cross on Good Friday and Jesus said, it is finished. The holy life was complete. The death where all of our sins were laid on him and he took the punishment for them all, that too had arrived. And we know all that good news is true. That Jesus has lived a perfect life in our place. and He has died for our sins because on Easter morning there was an angel who announced more good news. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Jesus' resurrection is God's guarantee that the gospel, the good news of salvation, is genuine. And what happens when a sinful human being believes that gospel of Jesus Christ, as Jesus was now calling sinners to do? You heard what happens earlier from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. One died for all, therefore all died. God made him who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Christ, through faith in Christ, you are the righteousness of God. Through faith in Christ, you are perfected in the eyes of God. See, those four saints, Peter and Andrew, James and John, they had already heard the gospel of salvation from John the Baptist and from Jesus Christ. By the Spirit's work, they believed it. They had become the righteousness of God. So they were more than qualified. They were more than good to go to come and follow Jesus and fish for men. They weren't just good to go in those callings. They were perfect for it. They heard the gospel, they believed, and they were the absolute righteousness of God. And so are you through faith in Jesus. You are the righteousness of God, and you are not just good to go, but you are perfect to go in all of the callings God has given you. And maybe that sounds like too much to you, like some kind of over-the-top exaggeration, because we know we're still sinful, right? Well, there is a vital word that St. Paul used in that second lesson in understanding all of this. So then, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All of those words are vital, really, but one stands out especially, which is creation. We use that word pretty loosely sometimes to describe the work of any imaginative mind. But the way the Bible uses that word, a creation is more than the work of a vibrant mind. A creation is a work of God because it means to make something perfect out of absolutely nothing, which is something that only God can do. And that's what we were before God got a hold of our hearts with the love of Christ, spiritually dead nothings. But God came to us with Jesus' love. He created faith. And through that faith, we are his righteousness. That is what you are in the eyes of God. Now this is the sublime but straightforward call of your Savior Jesus. In every way that God has given you to serve him, in all the callings he has given you in life, live out the righteousness of Jesus Christ that you are. You are not just good to go in the callings God has given you. You are perfected in Christ. Now, is this to say then that we're never going to sin again? Right? You are the righteousness of God. So that must mean 
if you sin, you weren't really a believer, you weren't really the righteousness of God. No, what it is to say is that when you do sin, God holds you in your faith, he forgives you, and he restores you in the righteousness of Christ. When you do slip and fall, you can pick yourself back up again, brush yourself off, wrap yourself back up in the righteousness of Christ, and get back to it with a perfectly fresh start. Absolutely no need to carry any guilt with you whatsoever. And you see this so clearly when you keep reading in the gospel. These four men came to faith in Jesus. They were the righteousness of God, but they still struggled with their sinful nature. And it showed itself in some awfully ugly ways as they followed Jesus during his ministry. But every time they did fall into sin, Jesus was there to patiently, lovingly forgive and restore those who repented and believed in the gospel. And the same thing is true for you. When your sinful nature does poke through, Jesus is there to forgive you, to restore you, and to hold you in his righteousness. But that doesn't mean that we stop caring about our sin either, that we become indifferent toward it like it doesn't matter, because Jesus' love does compel us. It compelled those four men to leave everything, to follow Jesus, and to fish for men. It compelled them to fight against their sinful nature and live out the righteousness of their Savior until they reach the glory of heaven. And Christ's love compels us to live in his righteousness too. Compel is a strong word, but it is the right word because it's the word the Spirit gave to St. Paul. For the love of Christ compels us because we came to this conclusion. One died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died in their place and was raised again. The love of Christ compels us, or even more literally, it controls us. We are perfectly good to go in all of God's callings, and the love of Christ drives, drives us to do it. Now, in order to do that, we need to know what God's will for our lives is. There are some callings that everyone has in common. We are all called to follow Jesus in faith and to fish for people. Many of our other callings vary from Christian to Christian. And because God is so good and he is so kind, he gives us a lot of freedom, a lot of latitude as his people to choose our callings and even how we are going to serve God within those callings. Now that does require us to use the brains that God has given us, to evaluate the abilities that God has given us. For example, I should ask myself questions like, do I have the consideration to be a good married person? If not, I may want to stay in the calling of singlehood. Do I have the patience to raise children? If not, I might want to leave that calling to somebody else. Am I baffled by my own personal checking account? If so, CPA might not be the career calling that you want to choose. So we all have to look at these different abilities that God has given us and also understand there are limits. There are parameters that God has placed on the choices that we can make about our callings and how we're going to serve him. For example, in that career calling, being a drug dealer could never possibly be a place where you can live out the righteousness of Christ. You say, that's a waste of time example. It's so obvious. Well, other examples are apparently less obvious to Christians and becoming blurrier all the time because of our culture. For example, you can choose to be single or to get married. 
But if you choose single, then you've got to understand there are activities that God has designated for married people that then are not for you. And if you choose marriage, you have to understand you can't get married to just anybody you want for any amount of time that you want. You're free to have kids or not, but you're not free to have them and then neglect their spiritual needs. You're free to show love to your neighbor in any one of a million possible different ways. But one of those ways could never be to condone something that they're doing wrong, because that never fits the divine definition of love. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. In order to live it out in all of the callings, we have to know what God's will for our lives is. And this is another way that God makes us perfect to answer our callings. He tells us his will in his word. You can see where the lines are. What has God forbidden? What does God require? Where does God give me freedom to make my own evaluations and to make my own choices? You have what you need to know to go in the callings God has given you. Four men Jesus called on this day, they knew some things about God's will for their lives. They knew God wanted them to repent and believe the gospel, to come, follow Jesus, and fish for men. And they probably knew a lot more about the will of God at this point already, but they still had a lot to learn. It was a process. Over the next three years, Jesus kept teaching them what real compassion and love for neighbor is all about, what Christ-like sacrifice really is, the true nature of godly humility. And it took time. It was a process. See, it's an instantaneous thing. The Holy Spirit comes to your heart with the gospel. You believe in Jesus. And you are instantly the righteousness of God. That is not a process. But learning the will of God and living it out in your callings, that is. It takes time, it takes effort, and it takes study that Jesus' followers are willing to give so that we can live our lives more fully for him who died in our place and was raised again. God has prepared you perfectly to answer every calling he has given you. He has brought you to faith in Jesus and made you his righteousness in Christ. He has told you his will. And now may Christ's love compel you as you answer every call with life and faith for him. Amen.